there, everyone. I'm Leslie Nunner. You would teach them diligently. Welcome to the Homeschooling Family Podcast. Here, we discuss just about everything that comes into play when you're a Christian homeschooling family. On today's podcast, I am thrilled to be joined by Rory Groves, author of Durable Trades, Family-Centered Economics That Have Stood the Test of Time. Now, Rory and I will be discussing the impact that certain occupations have had on families through the years and explore how to find family-centered professions that have stood the test, and actually tests, of time. His book is fascinating, and I cannot wait for him to give us a lot more insight over the next few minutes. Before we dive in, though, I wanted to make sure that all of you know about our upcoming events. Teach Them Diligently will be hosting real live events in Tennessee, Arkansas, Texas, and Alabama this spring. And we'll be live streaming our Nashville event so you can literally get the encouragement and helps available at TTD all around the world. Check out our website for more details and get your ticket now. We cannot wait to see you there. But now, without further ado, let's dive right in. So join me in welcoming Rory Groves to the podcast. Rory, I am so glad you're here. Won't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family before we dive into our conversation about family-centered economics? Sure. Thank you, Leslie. I'm very grateful to be here. So thanks for having me on the show. My wife, Becca, and I live in southern Minnesota. Uh, We've been married 15 years, and we homeschool our five children ages 10 to one, one and a half. Well, that is awesome. Well, tell me, you know, this this book is fascinating. I loved being able to flip through it. And I have a lot of questions for you as we work through this. But how did you come up with the idea of writing a book about trades and family economics and all of this stuff that's in your 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 book here that I have? Yeah, so I am a computer technology background. I um I studied that in college and I've been about 20 years in that industry as a technology consultant. And, um, you know, one of the things that when you start out and you're young and you love everything that's uh, high tech and it changes a lot and, and that's, <laughs> that's cool with you. But as you get older, you kind of get a little more interested in stability and things that are going to be around for a while. Because one of the things I noticed was that everything I created would go obsolete in a couple of years. There'd be a new invention that would supersede, uh, you know, the technology I was using or, or a different computer platform would come out or a different cloud uh, service offering. And I just, after about 20 years of this, I just started to get a little tired of the whole uh, reality that of, of the industry that I was in. So I started to wonder if there were other kinds of vocations out there. I mean, when you think about it, you know that there had been uh, families that had worked in historical trades for hundreds of years, they would pass them down from father to son to grandson. And I, I knew some people that worked in various uh, uh, businesses that had that their fathers or their grandfathers had started. And I just kind of wondered, is there any other options out there, first of all, for people who want to build something that will last? Mm-hmm. And then also, if they want to work together with their families. And as, uh, as I mentioned, when I started out, I wasn't married. I didn't have uh, any kids. But um, at the stage of the life I'm in right now, we have five kids. They're young. They're in the home. I don't really want to leave them to go continue down this path of uh, working in technology where they really can't be part of what I'm doing. And the same thing goes yeah. with my wife. 
you know, there's a limited, I'm, I'm self-employed in the sense that I do, uh, I do own my own software firm, but there's very limited uh, opportunity for my kids to be involved. And right. so this is where I really started to wonder is, are there options out there? Because from, it's not about the money, right? It's about the relationships. And so are there options out there where we can really build up our family and build something that will last? Yeah, that is that is awesome. And even, you know, we have always done teach them diligently and David's also over a mission agency called Worldwide Tent Makers. That has those two entities have always be, been family missions. They've been family things that we've done and it's been amazing to me that the skills that my kids have have gained by being able to work alongside of us, very practical. It started out as just, you know, work ethic of learning to pack tote bags and envelopes and this kind of thing. And now they're doing computer work and stuff like that as they've kind of grown into some of the bigger, bigger things that we have to offer. But I can say that it has, it has been an incredible blessing to our family to have the privilege of working together. And so I, I think that that's one of the things that was so interesting to me about the concept behind this book and about your story is how it kind of brings everyone together. And I'm sure that, you know, you, you mentioned to me before that, you know, when you guys started homeschooling, that it really kind of ramped up your desire to, to look into ways to be more available and stuff. So why don't you kind of flesh that out for us too? How did homeschooling factor into all of these decisions and this new interest that you had? Yeah, you know, homeschooling really reframed our whole paradigm on family discipleship. Uh, mm -hmm. Once we, you know, th this I have to thank for that um, speakers like Israel Wayne and Kevin Swanson, who really influenced the way I thought about my role as a father uh, and as parents to raise up the next generation and pass on our faith. And so hmm. as we started to move more and more into the homeschooling world, we really saw this is not as much about academics as discipleship and mentorship. And truly, yep. you know, my children, I want them to grow up. I want them to have knowledge and wisdom and things like that. But I really want them to have character because I'm not going to be able to make decisions for them once they're out of the house. They need to have uh, their faith has to be formed. They need to know why they believe what they believe. It's a lot more than simply memorizing uh, academic uh, facts and statistics. So Absolutely. that paradigm shift definitely flowed into the way we work. And one of the things that I noticed as I started to research more historical family-based businesses is that I noticed that there was something else that was happening in the process. Not only were apprenticed uh, youth being trained up in a specific skill or a trade, but the people who were doing the apprenticing were mentoring them and they were passing on their faith and their culture and their ethics. And I make the example in the book that, you know, when you're at work, the real person is on display. Hmm. So when you're negotiating a contract, for example, or like when you're working with your family and missions work, your children get to see the full person, the real person. It's not the person that's standing in front of a chalkboard or a whiteboard and telling them, you know, do what I say, not what I do. They are really right. seeing the true person. So when you're at work with someone and you're working side by side on a project, there is an amazing opportunity to disciple that person and to train them up in a way that a classroom just doesn't provide. And one of the things that happened, and we can look around us and say, where did all of this, why are we losing our young people? Where are they going? Hmm. Why are there so many, you know, upwards of 60 to 80% are leaving the church by the time they reach college? 
And why is this happening? Well, I really think you can pinpoint it back to the process of mentorship and discipleship that we used to have in this country and for thousands of years of Christendom. We would have families that would disciple and train up and mentor as they worked and taught a skill. And that process allowed time for discipleship to take place in a very authentic context, right? Right, so right. So we have like Jesus Absolutely. was... Yeah. Jesus was mentoring his disciples as they, you know, as they walk from town to town and as he did ministry. And we have uh, Paul was a tent maker and was discipling Aquila and Priscilla. There's all kinds of examples once you start looking into the scriptures of where parents were discipling their children through work. And so that yep. was also, you know, that, that, that was one of the aspects of this that I didn't intend to uh, discover. I, I, I kind of happened upon it. But during hmm. the Industrial Revolution, Everyone separated into factories, and it broke that continuity, that generational continuity, where people could pass on their faith in the context of a workplace. People were just doing specific tasks now. They weren't actually learning a full trade. So that's that's kind of how I I stumbled into that whole aspect of the family-centeredness. Yeah, and you know, you as you were talking about the discipleship and the mentorship and how important that is, you are absolutely singing our song um, because you know that's really gets at the heart of teach them diligently. You are teaching your children and passing on to them more than you know, as you walk, as you talk, as you work, like he said, um, as you work together and that real person is on display, the tense times, the stressful times, do you truly trust God when you don't know what the future holds, or is that just something that you say when you're kind of, you know, having devotions? Well, they're going to see that, and that is that's really where the power in teach them diligently that that whole concept of of just life on life discipleship, day in day out, um, those conversations, those that time spent together, it is unbelievably valuable. And we have seen um, just the the impact of it. And so many things that, like you noted before, it's not what we set out to do. We weren't smart enough to think that we were doing whatever. But now that we've got 21-year-old, 19-year-old, these, these grown-up kids, we kind of look back and we're like, God, you were working through all of that. And it was just simple steps of daily obedience that on their own meant nothing, really. But as a body of work, as we're following Jesus, trying to disciple and mentor our children, it had a profound impact on their lives. But it it yeah, just absolutely. really takes being intentional with that time. And I think that that's really what you're getting to uh, with with what you were discovering with, you know, just working alongside and, and the, the mentorship and stuff that comes along with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, uh, we, we live on a small hobby farm here in Southern Minnesota. We moved out here about eight years ago, eight years ago, and we've been trying our hand at raising some animals and, and doing some things. And as my children have been getting older, I've been training them in on the chores. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you do on a farm, especially if you're homesteading, that it would be a lot easier to just uh, get a higher paying job somewhere and buy the stuff at the, at the grocery <laughs> store. But there's something that's just irreplaceable. You know, I, was, I while you're talking, I'm thinking about my uh, son. Uh, he was nine years old when we were doing this last summer, but we were setting up pig fencing for some new pigs that we were going to be getting. And um, he spent the whole day w- out there with me, and we just kind of had to figure out how to install this um, these uh, uh, hog panels and, and stake them all down. And the whole time we were working, it was just all that we were doing was talking about life. 
talking about yeah. um, uh, things that I'm seeing, things that I think he needs to be prepared for, um, all of these things. And, you know, it could be easier to go and buy some bacon at the store and be a lot easier. But none of those conversations would have taken place because right. they it's just that time together that spurred that opportunity. And so there there is just one small example. But when you talk about second, third and fourth generation, you know, carpenters mm. and farmers and silversmiths, which some of these are in my book as I interview them. Um, there's just such a rich heritage that can pe- be passed on from one generation to the next through that context. Oh, absolutely. And the really, really cool thing about that time spent, you know, building pig fencing or whatever it is that that God has you doing together, you see the incredible wisdom of his plan of putting families together because those conversations, they aren't contrived. They aren't confrontational. They are so natural yes. and they're just a, an overflow. So there's they're so impactful because they don't seem like, okay, sit down in front of me, look me in the eyes, let's have a conversation about this. It's just a very natural way to interact and disciple your children. Very much so. Yeah. You're not trying to fit it all in over supper. And then, you know, if if things don't all get said, then you feel frustrated. You really have the time to mentor and to disciple. Yeah. And you get, you get much more authentic questions from them as well, because they're free from all of these distractions while they're working alongside of you or, or, you know, taking a ride or whatever it is that you're doing together. Um, because this principle works outside of just working together. But when you are spending that time together and just interacting and talking about life and stuff just very naturally, they're free from a lot of the distractions to just ask you those questions that come into their mind. And you get so much insight into, what's in their heart from the questions that they ask, but they're learning so much because you're actually engaging with them right where they are. And so again, I just, there've been so many times through the years that I have absolutely stood in awe of the way that God created and designed the family to function when we let it do it, or when we actually participate in the way that he designed it to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you look at you know, the the very first trade that uh, in terms of uh, dated trade would be gardener, right? Because Adam was put in the garden to tend hmm. to keep it. And his sons, Cain and Abel, were, far, were uh, farmers and shepherds. And um, if you look at it right from the very beginning, God set up families to work together, to steward creation, um, to pass these skills on from one generation to the next. And I personally believe that that's where the blessing is, that when we begin to separate families out to work in different factories or different offices, as we most of uh, us work in today, I really feel that we've lost an incredibly important aspect that was supposed to come with caring for uh, the garden, let's say, mm-hmm. or stewarding creation or whatever the, whatever the creation mandate God has called us to. When we separate, we're missing the whole point of why God called our families to a specific task or to a specific purpose. And so to the degree, and I understand that people are all in all different walks of life. It's not a simple task to simply put food on the table. It's not uh, automatic. Someone really has to work hard to make sure that a family is provided for, especially if you have a larger family. But what I would say is that to the degree that you can move in the direction of working together as a family, even if it's a nights and weekends kind of a thing, a side job, uh, if you're setting up a little farm stand at the farmer's market from a little garden that you grew in your backyard, or it's whatever it is, to the degree that you can move towards a family economy, 
I do believe that God blesses that and he will cause that to grow because I think that's his desire as well. Hmm. Hmm. Well, let's let's shift just to, for a few minutes here over to your book, because I really do think that it is a fascinating guide. Um, I think it, it'll be eye opening to all those who who pick it up. But you've you have laid out a number of different um, occupations, a number of different things that families can do together. But you've what was so interesting to me, aside from just the ones that you chose and kind of learning a little bit more about them, but also you broke it into several different, um, I guess, kind of data points where you looked at historical stability, you looked at resiliency, uh, family-centeredness, income, ease of entry. Um, can you tell us a little bit about why you chose those specific things to evaluate and what they actually mean, how you came to those conclusions? Because um, that's, it's just really interesting. Sure. So um, as I mentioned, I, this whole project, I didn't actually start out I wasn't planning to write a book when I sat down to do this. I just wanted to find out what options were out there uh, mm. for our family. I, I didn't know what the potential list of things that would uh, be around for a while were. And so um, when I started to do the research for this, um, what, I, what I really wanted to find out was what are the most durable and the most family-centered vocations today? And... Um, I came up with a, basically some criteria because there's a, a lot of history to cover to answer that question. So I basically <laughs> decided that I would set a criteria of the, the trade or occupation had to be around by the founding of our country. So 1790 hmm. AD, and it has to still exist today. If it does those two things, for example, let's just say carpenter, it was around well back before 1790. Still around today, and it's thriving. It is a very family-centered mm -hmm. profession. It's uh, uh, if you have uh, children of age, you can have them involved in the business, and many carpenters do. And the idea then is, I decided not just to find out which professions would fit that criteria, but how would you rank them? What would be the most, from most to least, that fit that criteria? And mm -hmm. so, what you're describing is, I came up with a a list of rankings for stability what I call resiliency, which is um, how uh, sustainable are they during recessions? Uh, do, how quickly do they bounce back? How much do they depend on um, long supply chains or can it be sourced locally? Um, Family-centeredness, that is, uh, can your children be involved in the trade? Can it be home-based? Hmm. Um, and then one of the metrics is income. So, in a typical career guide, you're going to go and they're going to rank things by, or they're at least going to list high up on the marks is going to be how much does the profession make. And in mind, that accounts for one-fifth of the score um, because I want to know a bunch of these other things. I don't want to just think about the economics of it. I want to know how right. much families can spend time together. And then, you know, barriers to entry, like you mentioned. So I came up with this list and I basically scored every trade. There's 61 trades in the book. I scored every one of them according to this ranking. And then I... Um, and then I was able to write about each one and give a summary of each one and why I feel it, it fit in that certain ranking and a little bit about the trade. The top 20 trades are the ones that are spend the most time with, those that, that made it to the top 20 of this rank. Um, I included a profile of someone who works in the trade. And so you can kind of get an idea of a day in the life of hmm. that individual and, and what it's like to really work in the trade. 
Oh, that's really cool. So what would you say to someone who is like, I love the idea of this. I love actually even, you know, encouraging my children, helping them kind of think through this moving forward. But I'm so set in my, you know, my current path. I don't know anything about any of this. So how would you encourage people? I think you alluded earlier, even if it's weekend stuff or just things like that. What do you say to those that that feel like they're pretty set in what they're doing, but, you know, they would love to see to be able to pass this on to their children and that kind of thing? Sure. Yeah, there's a couple of audiences that really makes sense for this book. One audience is those who are kind of like myself, who have found themselves going in a certain direction with their careers that they don't like. And they're looking to reassess where they're going, that they want to make a shift and they want to prioritize their family and spend more time with their family. And and in my case, I wanted to put my hand towards something that was going to last longer than I have experienced in the high technology world. Another audience is for younger people, people who before they've gone to college, before they've taken on an insurmountable amount of debt to try to work in a very specific niche career, they would be great uh, candidates to review this book and consider an alternate way because a lot of these trades, not all of them, but a lot of these trades don't require college education. They require someone who Mm. can teach you the trade and hands-on experience. So I would say someone who's maybe 10th grade, 11th or 12th grade might be a good candidate to look at the book. But then also, you know, for wives and husbands, if they've ever wanted to team up and work together on something and build something together, I know that's in our hearts and that we've always sought for ways to do that. And we're finally able to start doing that through what the research was when this, uh, when I wrote this book was that we basically took the book, went out to dinner, and we just started going through each of these trades. And we said, what would fit our family? Are any of these match up with the gifts that God has given our family? And we came up with kind of a, a handful of different ones. And that's that's one of the other aspects of it. Not, some of these might be full-time endeavors alone. Some of these, you might do a mix a mix of the trades. And that's really common throughout history where you have people, you know, the village blacksmith was also a farmer hmm. and um, yeah. Also a farrier, and you would have you would have a lot of these kind of overlapping trades. So that would be my recommendation: is if you've ever wanted to team up with your spouse or find something to do to, with your family, you can use the book as a reference and learn a little bit more about what options are out there, and then maybe find something that would fit your family, even if it's not quitting a day job and starting over from scratch. Right. Well, and it, even as I was looking through it, I think that there are a lot of those that you may find just shared interests in, in the short term before it becomes something that you're doing to make a living or anything else. I know David um, David and Peyton do a lot of woodworking together. They like to turn yeah. pens and, and do stuff like that. That's something one. that they share. Um, and I, you know, they've never, they've made them for gifts. They've never tried to sell them. Um, but it is still something that they can go out and do together fishing. Um, you know, Camden yep. and David are going fishing on, on Thursday. That's a big, Camden's been trying to get him. Um, so they're taking time out to do that. So a lot of this stuff may just really spark great ideas of ways that you can come together with your children, start exploring interests that then you never know what the Lord is going to do with in the days ahead or how he's going to take that those moments together and maybe put something in your child's heart that could be income producing or business related in the days ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you one example is um, my son is uh, raising rabbits. And for him, it's a 
very literal business. And I'm there mm. helping him and we're figuring out a lot of these aspects of how to raise uh, purebred uh, uh, felted Dutch rabbits and then sell the bunnies. And it's very small. You know, he has a litter uh, once or twice a year. And, and there's a mm-hmm. there's just a handful of people that are interested in pet bunnies. But it's laying down the principles for what is what is required for a business and those kinds of marketing principles. So uh, those are that's just one example of, uh, of where you can use a hobby to lay down some some guiding principles that the, he'll probably use later in life. Now, he may grow that rabbit business into a major business someday. I don't know what he's planning to do. But, um, <laughs> but that it, probably he would use those skills for something else at a later point. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, part of our mission as home educators is to prepare our children to walk through whatever door God opens in the days ahead. And so the more skills and experience that we can give them, especially if that affords them one-on-one time working together with us, the better we're actually doing that which God has given us to do. And that's to prepare them to be ready to do whatever he calls them to do in the days ahead. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. Well, Rory, we are about out of time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell us real quickly where people can find your book, where they can connect with you? Um, Just want to make sure I'll link all of this in the show notes, but it's always helpful when they can hear it straight from you in the recording as well. Sure. Great. Um, The book is available anywhere that books are sold. Um, I would encourage you to come to our website, thegrovestead.com. And uh, we will list any discounts that are available. As, as we find out about them, we put any discounts for the book up on our website. So thegrovestead.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I again, I appreciate your being here today. I, I uh, look forward to diving in more with this book. And I'm just, it truly is a fascinating approach that you've taken. And I think that, I think it's going to open a lot of people's eyes to a lot of opportunities that they may have kind of overlooked or glanced past in, you know, the days gone by. So thank you so much for putting this all together for us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to share. Well, you're very welcome. And everybody else, I hope that you have a great rest of your day. And I look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you for joining us today. We believe that every family is called to teach them diligently. So we're here to help. We would love to get to know you this year at one of our four live Teach Them Diligently events. And then throughout the year, when you become part of the Teach Them Diligently 365 community, check out the notes from today's show for more details about what we discussed today, as well as all of these other resources that Teach Them Diligently has to offer. Have a wonderful day, and I look forward to talking to you again real soon.